Thanks so much, Tyler Maria. Well, good evening, everyone. Let me extend my warm welcome to you. If you're new here, my name's Emily. I'm one of the student pastors here. It's so exciting to see lots of students returning to the city and new ones. I've met a few who it's your first time here already this evening, so a really warm welcome to you. Let's pray before we open up God's word together this evening. Jesus, I thank you that today thousands of Christians around the world are hearing your word being preached. And we thank you for the gift it is to come together to meet with you. And Lord, we pray now that you, Holy Spirit, would illuminate Jesus to us this evening, that you would speak to us through your word, that each of us would leave here knowing more of you. We pray this in your precious name. Amen. Well, this evening, we're gonna be rounding up our vision series that we've been in. And I have the joy of speaking to you about a vision of Jesus. Jesus, the source of life, of living water. And our need for water is a universal fact of life. Let me remind you of a few facts about water. Water covers over 70% of our world. 75% of our brains are water. A person can live without food for about a month, but only, I certainly couldn't do that, but only about a week without water. 75% of a living tree is water. This you might not have known. A jellyfish and a cucumber are 95% made of water. And in actual fact, it takes 75 liters of water to make one pint of beer. It's fair to say we are very dependent on water. Sadly, so many around the world today go without access to clean, living water, the way we can just instantly turn on a tap. But we all know what it is to be physically thirsty. Your mouth goes dry, your throat feels a bit like sandpaper, you feel weak, you crave water. There's nothing quite like that moment when you're thirsty and you get to have a nice cold glass of water. But today when we come to look to Jesus, a vision of who he is, the son of God, the one who spoke the world into being, whose lips put the oceans in their place, he's not only the source of physical water, but he's the only source of living water. The water that can only ever truly satisfy our deepest thirst. The life-giving water that we were made to carry and to pour out into the world around us the water that was given to flow in and through us. So firstly, Jesus, the source of living water. There's so much that could be said about Jesus. In fact, John writes in the Gospels that if everything was written down that Jesus did, there's not enough space in the world for the books that would be written. Not even the Bodleian Library here in Oxford could contain it. So many, sadly, have been put off church because of who they think God is, because of their image of what God is like. But when we look to Jesus, when we look to his life lived, we see all of the fullness of who God really is. Only Jesus could say, I and the Father are one. And in the Gospels, we have four eyewitness accounts of Jesus, of his life, of who God really is. And in our passage this evening that was beautifully read, we read of an extraordinary encounter between Jesus and one woman at a well, a recorded event in history that welcomed in eternity. And you might be familiar with this story, but my hope this evening as we open it up, as we see truths about Jesus, we'll taste of that living water. 
So just to set the scene for a moment, here we have Jesus, he's been journeying with his disciples and he takes a detour specifically to go to the town of Samaria. In fact, we read in verse four that he had to go there, that it was not an accident that he went to this well. And it's there at this well that Jesus sits down in the heat of the midday sun, tired and thirsty, and meets a Samaritan woman. She's out there minding her own business, drawing water from a well, and Jesus didn't bring his own bucket and he asks her for a drink. Might seem fairly normal, but she is completely taken aback. How is it that you, a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman, how can you ask me for a drink of water? You see that Jesus, firstly, that even spoke to her was extraordinary. In the culture of the time, it was a shock to her and a shock even to Jesus' own disciples, who when they returned found him speaking to this woman, they couldn't believe it. Why was it a shock? Well, you see, she was a Samaritan, and Jews generally despised, and they were just generally despised by the Jews. There was nearly a 500-year hostility between these two people groups. But Jesus, he doesn't discriminate, not to anyone. He sets aside all historical and racial divisions to ask this woman for a drink. But it's shocking not that she was just a Samaritan, it was also incredibly shocking because culturally in the time it was so inappropriate for a man to speak to a woman who was not his wife. And it's also clear that this woman didn't want to be seen by people, that for whatever reason she felt like she had to come to that well in the hottest time of the day, in the Middle Eastern heat, not something that would have been a normal way of, of drawing water. And it's revealed as the conversation goes on that she's not only had one husband, but five husbands, and the man that she's living with now is not her husband. She's not just a Samaritan woman, someone that Jews wouldn't have associated with, or a woman, something that a man wouldn't have been seen talking to a woman that wasn't his wife, but this woman would have also been a social outcast with a history of broken relationships rejected and mocked by her own people. She comes in the midday sun completely alone to draw water. But Jesus didn't make his detour to Samaria, to this world to judge and condemn her. In actual fact, in asking for water, his kindness is on display in the most beautiful way as he approaches her with tenderness and humility. In verse 10 we read, Jesus said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it was that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you that living water. So what is this gift of God? What is the gift of life that he speaks of? This spring of living water? Because she doesn't really understand what's going on at this point. In fact, I think I'd have been quite confused if the way this conversation's going. But you see, the thing is, it's not what she's been offered, but who she's being offered. You see, the supreme gift of God to his people is not a book or some rules to follow, but the person of Jesus himself. That ever since our ancestors chose to walk away from the love and friendship that we were made to have with him, we've been thirsty. We've been longing to come home from him, come home to him. You see, Jesus reaches out to the Samaritan woman on the edge, an outcast of society, he breaks down the walls of racial discrimination to offer his love. His love reaches out to all sections of society across every barrier that we can imagine. He sees her, he values her, he moves towards her. 
and he engages with her in kindness. He sees who she really is. He says, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I give them will never thirst. He's the source of living water for anyone who will drink of it. But in all the ways he could have come to reveal himself to us, he came as a humble carpenter to make a way for us to know him, to come back to him, to never thirst again. But you see, Jesus isn't just the source of living water, a gift for everyone, no matter where you're from, no matter what your background is, no matter what you've done. He's a living water that can only truly satisfy. You see, he knew that this woman had been thirsty her entire life, not just physically thirsty, but spiritually. She'd been thirsty to to love and be loved, to feel secure and valued. Yet so kind and compassionate is Jesus' love towards her that he doesn't want to leave her trapped and bound by her sin and brokenness. But in actual fact, as the story goes on, as we hear him saying to her, go and call your husbands and then come back, knowing full well that she has not one husband. He already knew everything about her, but he doesn't want her to feel like she has to hide parts of herself from him. You see, he brings a truth to her that sets her free. This is true love, that he sees her as she truly is, but he doesn't want her to be trapped in her sin, to need to sort herself out before she can receive water from him. It's in fact that as she receives his love that she's set free to live a transformed life. Over this past summer, my dad had been involved in building something. It's something called an electro, hydroelectric turbine. Don't worry, I didn't have a clue what it was when he started telling me about it. But he's quite passionate about it, so if you ask him about it, he'll talk to you about it for a long time. So I've learned quite a lot about hydroelectric turbines this summer as a pretty cool way of generating green energy. And basically how it works, I'll give you a quick lesson, um, it uses water from a stream that flows down a long pipe Um, from the top of a fell, and as the water flows down that's been um, diverted through a dam, it gets to this turbine, and as it goes through it, it generates green energy. Actually, it generates so much that it's able to run a huge site, about a third of the whole place's electricity. So I went to check out this dam that was being used to divert a stream at the top of a fell and generate power. Now, maybe it's just me, but if you're being told about a source of water um, that's going to flow down a hill to generate a lot of electricity, I don't know what image you'd have in your mind, but in my mind, as I was going to look for this dam to have a look at it, I think I imagined something a bit like the Hoover Dam. I thought there'd be this huge dam at the top of the fell that would be generating electricity down down the side of it. So I took myself off to have a look, and I knew roughly what area it would be in. And I'm trekking up to the top of this hill, and I had to drop down some trees to get to where the river would be. And it's actually quite a hidden spot where it was. And down I went, and I found this hidden little pool of water that actually had quite a small dam blocking it to divert the water into the pipe down the hill. And honestly, as I got to it, it was beautiful, but all I could think is, wow, this is really small. I actually have a little video to show you of the dam, if it it works. You see, that little hidden pool of water was the source as it got down the fell to a lot of power. This same amount of water as it was funneled through the dam 
would generate this turbine. And I just had this thought as I was stood there, and I was thinking about this tiny, small pool of water. I just had this sense of, felt like the Lord began to speak to me about something. He said, just this little whisper that came into my mind, this is how much your heart matters to me. This is how much your heart matters to me. That it doesn't take much, just a small pool of water, just a touch from heaven, but when we open our hearts to Jesus, to receive his living water, the gift of eternity into our lives, we receive life, we receive hope, we receive joy. The source of living water, of the spirit of Jesus Christ living in you, this is why the source matters so much. Because a heart, no matter how hidden, no matter how small it may feel, the heart that is fixed on Jesus, that is a pool of living water, a hidden place of friendship and intimacy with Jesus, it can continue to flow out and generate a huge amount of impact. And another feature of this dam that I've recently learned about is that actually at the top there where it was flowing out from the pool down to the river, there's a little mesh piece of um, filter, a microfiber piece of filter mesh. Probably getting this all wrong, but that's kind of what I remember my dad saying. And this mesh only lets pure things flow through the dam. It stops debris, it stops rocks, it stops leaves, it stops anything that might pollute the flow of the river. And you know, it can be so subtle sometimes, the things that can dilute and pollute the source of living water in our hearts. Just being consumed by the busyness of our days, getting distracted by things going on, worrying, comparison, hidden sin that can come in. But you see, Jesus didn't come to just splash some water on your face to give you a motivational talk to carry on. No, Jesus wants to satisfy you with something that doesn't depend on how much you earn, that doesn't diminish when things don't go the way you planned or what you were hoping for doesn't quite come to pass. He cares so deeply about the desires of our and longings of our heart, and he can bring transformation to any area, but he has something so much greater for us than any of the situations we may face. He came to bring new life, spiritual life to your heart, to pour out living water into your soul. Jesus came to quench your thirst for acceptance, relationship, and meaning, to bring a deep source of peace. And if you're here this evening and you're feeling spiritually dry, or like the pool of your heart has become polluted, like you've got nothing left, like you're weary, or that you don't belong here, well the beautiful thing is that God loves to pour water onto thirsty ground, to refresh and to restore, to see you become fully alive in him. You don't have to hide your heart from him. Like the Samaritan woman, he sees everything already. And water always flows to the lowest place. And we become more like Jesus when we allow God into the mess, into the deeper places of our heart, when we look to Jesus. And this is why we're so excited and expected as a whole church that we're gonna be spending these next eight weeks in the Jesus sessions an invitation to come to the source of living water, to connect with one another and to be captivated by Jesus afresh, to let his life-giving spirit come afresh into our hearts and to purify and cleanse the places that need to be refreshed because there's always more of him to know. And it's the life that we receive that we're able to then give out, that will flow out into the world around us. So finally, Jesus is not only the source of living water, well, and this, this, the water that can truly satisfy, but he's also the water that flows. 
A couple of weeks ago, I was walking down Broad Street, right in the center of Oxford, and I'm walking down the street, and I see a sign that says, Festival of Booths. Now, where I'm from in the north, Booths is a supermarket, and it's a really bougie, nice supermarket. It's a treat place, a bit like the Waitrose of the north, and I got quite excited thinking Booths was on tour in Oxford. But in actual fact, it wasn't that at all. It was um, a, a pop-up Jewish festival, the Festival of Booths, and, or the Feast of Tabernacles, as it's also known. And it's still celebrated to the, around the world today in the Jewish calendar. It's recorded in the Bible as a time when Jewish people lived in shelters to remember God's faithfulness to Israel during their time in the wilderness, living in tents in the desert. It's a time of joy and celebration, giving thanks to God for the water he provided. And as I walked past this festival of booths, uh, I was reminded of the time later on in in the Gospel of John when Jesus himself is recorded standing up on the last and greatest day of this feast. And in the midst of all that's going on, Jesus stands up to speak and he cries out with a loud voice, the same life-changing promise that was made to this woman at the well and the same life-changing promise that he makes to everyone who comes to him today. He said this in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures have said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Jesus was making a clear statement at the scene of this festival that he was the Messiah, the long-awaited one, the fulfillment of all of the promises of God to be fulfilled in him. It's only through his life that the river of living water could flow. The interesting thing was as I walked past this festival of booths along Broad Street, the moment where I, I just remembered Jesus saying this in the Gospels, I looked down and realized that I was standing on the spot called the Martyr's Cross. I think we have a picture of it if you've not been to Broad Street. Maybe go check it out this week, particularly if you're new to the city. And this is such a fascinating spot in the history of our city. There's a plaque where you can read what happened. It says here, opposite this point near the cross in the middle of Broad Street, Hugh Latimer, one-time Bishop of Worcester, Nicholas Ridley, Bishop of London, and Thomas Cramner, Archbishop of Canterbury, were burnt for their faith in 1555 and 1556. It's unthinkable today that something like this would happen. But actually all around the world today, Christians are being persecuted, willing to die for their faith. Why would they be willing to die? Well, I dare say it's because of their faith in the one who died for them. You see, there's one other moment in the Gospel of John where Jesus is recorded as being thirsty. And it's the moment where he hung tortured, bruised, beaten, suffering the most agonizing death anyone could ever experience. It's on the cross where Jesus, God in human flesh, who lived the most beautiful life that anyone has ever lived, where he took the suffering of humankind upon himself, where he took the full weight of our sin and our shame, where he chose to pay the price for our homecoming. It's there that he cried in his final moment in John chapter 19, in order to fulfill scripture, I thirst, I thirst. And in that place as he hung and thirst, he was mocked as they offered him sour wine to drink. But where death seemed like the final scene, it was in actual fact the very thing that fulfilled the scriptures. It's from the cross of Christ that the river of life flows. It's from the cross 
that he released the river of living water so that we would never thirst again. Because on the third day, the day that changed history forever, and the stone was rolled away, he rose again. Jesus wasn't trapped by death, Jesus trapped death. The river of life could not be stopped. And it's because Jesus thirsted on the cross that he can quench our deepest longings, our deepest thirsts. It's because Jesus suffered rejection and pain that he's able to heal and cleanse us. It's because Jesus died on the cross that he meets us in the place of death and transforms it into a place of eternal life. This is the flow of living water that he came to give, that he made a way for the Holy Spirit to be poured out on the day of Pentecost. And if we wanna live in the fullness of all that God has for us, we must come back to the foot of the cross You know, I imagine when Jesus sat down at the well, Jacob's well with a Samaritan woman and asked her for a drink when he saw her and loved her, that he saw her through the sovereignty of God, through the eyes of the cross, where he would thirst again. But it was for the joy set before him, the joy of this woman, of me, of each and every one of you that he endured the cross. And that Samaritan woman, when she met Jesus, when she received that living water, She couldn't help but share the source, share where she'd got that living water from, share the freedom and the forgiveness that she'd received. Her life became a spring of life for others. In fact, she became the first evangelist. God used this thirsty woman to transform a whole region. More than ever, friends, we need to be hydro-powered people, drinking deeply from the source, filled with the love and power of the Holy Spirit that flows from Jesus, our hearts being purified and cleansed by his living water. Don't settle for imitation water. If the band would like to come up, we're gonna land in just a moment, but I've recently loved um, over this past year, as we've had to kind of find new ways of having fun, (laughs) that if you've journeyed along the rivers in Oxford, you've seen many people getting into, I think, so many new activities on the river. There was one point where I think does everyone in the city have some kind of inflatable craft that they're on the river in? You see all sorts. I've seen actually some of you in inflatable watermelons and things floating down the river, but I know people have been loving playing in the river. And you know, there is a deep overflowing joy to be found in the river of God. And friends, if you've lost the joy of knowing Jesus, then his invitation to you this evening is to get in the river. So often it's actually out of the desert places, and for many it's been a desert place this past year, but it's out of those places that streams of living water will flow.